0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit painesvilleag.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Uh, let me just open with a question. How do you know that you know God? How do you know that you know God? Jesus, how do you know that He loves you? How do you, how do you know that you are, that you have peace with God, that you're at peace with Him? How do you know that you'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ I think these are these are important questions they are they are they are important things that that we ought to consider in our lives questions that we we have to answer at some point and uh, and that, that we have to ask and that's what the book of 1 John is all about the book of 1 John helps us to gain confidence and 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 gives us some clues along the way for us to have a confidence in our faith and to know that we truly can' have a real relationship With Jesus Christ and a confidence in where we spend our eternity. I think, and I would like to submit to you that it's one of the most important questions that we ought to consider. In fact, it's more important than uh, what you end up with as far as your GPA in high school or college, uh, what kind of job you get, or how much money you make, or how many friends you have, uh, and not just friends on social media, real friends. Face-to-face friends. Not that your friends on social media aren't, but you know, you have social media friends and you know what I'm talking about. You have real friends, right? But I think even more important than that, it's more important than who you're going to marry or 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 anything like that or how happy you are in life. Let me just give you a little illustration. Imagine that you're a, a wealthy business owner and uh, in the city of your choice, you've moved there and you have an office at the top, like the the, the top office at the highest building in that city, and you—you you are a, a billionaire, and you are trying to consider where to invest billions of dollars that you have. There are a couple of opportunities that have come your way. It's—it's—and it, 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 it's one of those things you're sitting back and you're contemplating that important decision: where am I going to invest this amount of money? And that would sound like a like a very important type of decision, wouldn't it? But let me let me throw something else at you. Say the date is September 11, 2011, and your office is at the top of the World Trade Center, and it is 8 a.m. And you're sitting in your office, and that is a decision before you. I don't know about you, but I would think that that decision, in light of what is about to happen, is trivial. Investing millions and billions of dollars into a company at that point, or where that is, and what decision that could make at that point In your life at that point in that moment in time it is trivial can I can I get you to consider that perhaps eternity is really really important that out of all of the decisions that we can make out of all of the things that we contemplate what happens after we die what happens And eternity is an extremely important question. And no matter what it is you're facing or decisions you face, I would like you to consider that perhaps that is probably the most important question. Because if you get that question wrong, even if you get every other question right, you still lose. You've lost everything. So today we're going to jump back into the letter of 1 John, so I encourage you to turn there. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to work ourselves all the way through uh, chapter 2, all the way to chapter 6, and we're going to kind of kind of move through that. And so uh, if you know anything about how the Bible was written, uh, the 1 John was a letter that was written, and so later on they came and they put the chapters, the, the twos and, and the verses in there. And so when you read it all the way through, really this particular break, uh, doesn't make as much sense as you read through. So we're going to go verse 5, and we're going to go all the way. chapter 2 and verse 6. And uh, again, the author is John, one of the disciples of Jesus, in fact, very close to Jesus. Uh, And uh, he was the brother of James and friends of of Peter and Andrew. They were were fishermen. And uh, he's writing to churches that are in the area of modern-day Turkey. It's where the city of Ephesus was. And at one point, John had pastored in Ephesus. And so he is writing these letters to those churches, and as I said last week, if you get into the book of Revelation and you see the seven letters and their circulation of the churches, there are the seven letters to those churches, that's the, the series or network and area of churches, and it might be that this letter also was written to those same type of churches, and in the first, first part, the first uh, uh, verses, four verses there we talked last week, that they're really important because they, they tell us that Jesus was a real person. That he was a real person, that he lived, he was human, and that he lived, and he was a real person, and that was critical. So I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the foundation of that. And that you can't separate Jesus from eternal life. So when we talk about this idea, how do I know that I have eternal life? You can't separate the knowing about eternal life and say, well, it's just a teaching, or it's just a concept, or it's just a philosophy that I think is good for living my life. You can't separate that from the person of Jesus. Christ because Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. And because of that, Jesus not only gives us the gift of eternal life, but restores, as the verse 4 talked about, our fellowship with the Father and our fellowship with one another is hinged upon those things. And we'll get into that A little bit more. But John is building on this thought as he continues to explain the nature of God. Today we're going to talk about the problem of sin. I'm just going to warn you up front, all right? It's going to get a little uncomfortable today, okay? Don't turn me off online, okay? It's going to get a little uncomfortable today because we're going to talk about that three-letter word that nobody wants to talk about. Sin. Uh Uh-oh. Right. So the nature of God, we're going to talk about the problem of sin, and then we're going to talk about how we can have confidence in our standing with God, which is going to lead us into our time of communion today. So in the next section, John identifies three signs of someone who really doesn't know God, even though they think they do. Who doesn't really know God, even though they think they do. And what's really important about that and that we should note is that John is writing to people who are in church. He's writing to people who are in church. He's not writing to people who, who have not claimed that they have faith in God or faith in Jesus Christ. He's writing to people who are in church. He's writing to religious People Now, again, he's not saying these are signs for pagans or atheists who don't know God, but he's talking about three indications that that you may be religious or even a spiritual person who doesn't really know God, who doesn't really know God. And this is one of the most important lessons that we can begin to uncover, that we can begin to, to unpack here, is that people can be religious and spiritual, but not actually know Jesus Christ at all. How can that be? Well, we're going to get into it today, and, and, uh, and we're going to take a look at that, because not only uh, was, was Jesus' crucifixion a secular act, it was a religious act— it was done by both secular and religious establishment, both the, the Roman government and the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and scribes at the time, the religious people at the time. And, uh, and so what that means is, is, is that religion is every bit an enemy to Christ as secularism is. Whoa. Let that resonate for a moment. So let's get into these signs, and we're going to see that there are three false claims here that are made about sin. But before we get into that, uh, as we do, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of God, and we're going to couple it with the first one. So three signs of someone who doesn't truly know God. Three signs of someone who doesn't truly know God. One, you don't know God if you sin. And you say, wait a minute, everybody sins, right? Yeah, everybody sins. I'm not what I'm talking about is if you persist in rebellious sin, if you if you choose to walk in sin. That's what I'm what well, that's what I'm talking about. Not that you never sin, but you willfully, defiantly pursue sin. Let's read what the passage says. First <clears throat> John 1, 5 to 7. And there's going to be some things about the nature of God that we see in here. This is the message we have heard from Him. Who's Him? Jesus, right? Who The one in verses 2 and and 3 where he's talking about that, verses 1 and 2, that which we have seen, which we have heard. uh, He's talking about Jesus here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, that's intimate relationship. We talked about that word last week. If we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, look at this, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what does that mean? John is using the imagery of light in this passage and contrasting light with darkness. How many know light and darkness are polar opposites, right? They're polar opposites. And how many know that light and darkness cannot, cannot coexist? They cannot coexist. Whenever you're in a dark room, when you turn on the light, the darkness dissipates or recedes. It cannot coexist with the light. It, it it retreats wherever the light shines and pours forth. In other words, there is no dualism in the nature of God. There's no, as the Buddhist theory and teaching goes, there is no yin and yang. There is no good and evil all within the same being or same person. That is not the nature of God. God is light and in him there is no darkness there is no dualism there's no dualism God is pure God is holy God is righteous for God to be the light means that he is he is the source of pure life he's the source of pure life that God is perfect goodness and and he is because he is perfect God is perfect goodness. He is, he is perfect. That's, that's what it means here. That's part of being light. There's no hint of, of darkness at all. Everything in God is right. He never does anything wrong. God is perfect. God is holy. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. Darkness here, of course, refers to uh, a moral darkness and injustice, hypocrisy, hatred unfaithfulness impurity and it's all wrapped up in that concept or that word sin and what John wants us to understand is is that light and darkness they cannot coexist they cannot fellowship together God's righteousness and our sins are fundamentally incompatible they're incompatible that means that we have a big problem because scripture says, uh, and we're going to see as we go along that, that, that scripture says that as, as humanity, as, as human beings, as persons, we are sinners. We have sin that has been passed down to us. Sin is in our nature, and sin is not just in our nature, but it is something that we practice. We have a sin problem, and God is a holy God, and that means that is incompatible. It's incompatible. We all have a big problem. That includes a sinner like me. That includes a sinner like me. It's kind of like being on an airplane, airplane, and the stewardess comes on. And she says, I'm sorry, today, folks, we're going to ask that if you have anything that might contain anything with peanuts in it at all, any kind of nuts or anything at all, that you do not you refrain on this flight from eating any of that because we have someone with a severe peanut allergy on this flight. That means that that person, because of their peanut allergy, if someone opens up the, the, uh, and, and begins to eat a peanut as that begins to circulate through, that could cause a big problem with that person because that person's allergy is incompatible with the peanuts, with the nut allergy. And that's the same thing with, with God and sin, it is completely incompatible, only the problem is, is in kind of a, a, a an opposite way, although it's incompatible, God is the, not the one who is going to die, but you and I die in our sin, because God is light, and God is holy, and God is righteous. And we are not. God's standard of morality requires perfection. And if we do not meet that standard, we cannot have fellowship with God. That is the problem. If we say we know God, that is we say we have fellowship with God, our relationship with God, yet we walk in darkness. We willfully pursue sin and darkness. We are deceived and the scripture says we lie and have no fellowship with God. Notice the language of this false claim as read through the message, uh, the message paraphrase. It puts it this way If we claim that we experience a shared life with Him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. We're not living what we claim. You can't say, I love God, and then continue to love sin. And desire to pursue sin, those who truly know God, who have been saved, have a new spirit inside of them, and therefore they have a new love for the truth that is found in God and in his word. They have a love for the light and a desire to want to walk in the light, not walk after darkness. Psalm 19, 8 and 9, David expressed this when he said, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. And the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. Each one is fair. So let me ask a couple of questions. Is that how you feel about the law of God? Are they desirable or do you find that the law of the Lord or the, the, the words of Scripture are cumbersome to you? What is your attitude towards the law of the Lord? What's your attitude towards the holy and righteous standard of God? And what's your attitude towards sin? Let's go a little deeper. I want to share with you three ways here in the midst of this point, Three ways that church people often are still in darkness. One, you can be still in darkness as a church person If you believe without repentance Believing without repentance Friends, can I tell you You can't truly believe in Jesus Christ without repentance Repentance was the first response that Jesus called for When he was preaching the gospel In fact, the scriptures say that the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It wasn't just believe the good news, it was repent and believe the good news. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when he got to the end of preaching, he called the people to repent and believe repent and believe it is not just about believing but it is also about repentance the apostle paul commanded men everywhere to do this with jesus the resurrected savior act 17 30 is one example in the past god overlooks us ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent all people everywhere does that include us For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. One day we are going to stand before a holy and righteous and just God to give an account of our lives. And when we do so, simply believing will be not enough if it is not accompanied by repentance. You can't be saved by the light if you hate the light. Can I say to my wife, I want to be married to you, but I also want to keep a couple of other lovers on the side? Would she put up with that? If I said, well, wait, hey, man, wait a minute, baby, just understand. But, but see, all those other ladies, you're number one out of all of them. She's going to look at me and say, I don't want to be one out of all of them. I want to be the only one. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, He can't be one of many other lovers. He's got to be the only one to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He wants to be the only one. And repentance literally means a change of mind. In the Greek, the word is meta-Noah. meta meaning new, noah meaning mind, a new mind. Repentance means understanding that Jesus is Lord and that, that I, have cause, I, have, I have committed cosmic treason before him. And if I do not repent, if I do not repent of that cosmic tre- treason, no matter what I believe about God, without repentance, there is no salvation. Secondly, church people are still in darkness being casual about or even openly embracing sin. I have people all the time that, that want to embrace sin. They, 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 I, I believe in God, but is it okay if I, if I look at pornography? Isn't that okay? I mean, come on, I'm just a man, right? Right? Men, men have needs and, you know, it can't all be satisfied and I got all this, you know, hormones raging. I mean, isn't it okay if I, if I just have a little of that on the side? No! It's incompatible. It's incompatible. Well, how about that? I'm not really committing physical adultery. I just got a little emotional relationship going on on the side with somebody at work or somebody on Facebook or social media, you know, an old high school or college fling, and you know, it just kinda, God wants me to be happy, right? I'm I'm just lying a little bit or cheating a little bit. I mean, you know, isn't that okay? Can I do that? I mean, there are all kinds of examples that we find in scripture where, or find where, where people want to openly say, I'm casual and it's okay to sin and, and kind of be okay with that and even talk about that. And like, I'm, uh, that's okay. And I'm a believer too. I'm a, I'm a Christian too. I follow Jesus too. Friends, that, that's incompatible. That's incompatible. You can't say you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, 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 and not have forsaken what he has forbidden or at least have a desire to forsake what he has forbidden. Instead, we justify it. Oh, it's okay. All oh, the grace of God. All oh, the mercy of God. And yet put his holiness on a shelf. Be careful. Do you really know God? Can you really love and embrace Jesus Christ who died to put an end to sin? 1 John 2.4 Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Did I write that? No, John wrote that. If you know Jesus, but you don't know, if you only know him as have a, a life coach, some of us, we... We know Jesus, but we only know him as a life coach and as an advisor for our life. Helpful suggestions for how we ought to live. Jesus doesn't want to be a life coach. He doesn't want to be an advisor to how you ought to live your life. He wants and is Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. Luke six forty six. This is Jesus' own words. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I said? You can't call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says. And if you're the kind of person that insists on agreeing with Jesus before you submit to him, then I don't think you understand the concept of lordship. Lordship is not about agreeing. It's not about. It's not about. Well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with this, or I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. Well, that doesn't seem to line up with my politically correct, you know, uh, Americanized philosophy over here. So, so I don't know. Either Jesus is Lord of all, and what He said is right, and all of what He said is right is right, or it's not. He is Lord. He's Lord of all or he's Lord of none. He is Lord. And trust me, he's not about to agree with you because you're not right on everything. But he is because he is righteous and he is holy. And he is just. I know it is. This is a hard message. I I warned you last week. I was going to talk about sin and you still came back. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, we're, we're, we're not perfect people, and I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but there ought to be a decided resolution in your heart that says, I am going to surrender and submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live in that surrendered position that His way is right, and I'm going to follow Him. Thirdly, church people are still living in darkness when they pray a sinner's prayer with no accompanying life change. I can pray a sinner's prayer with no accompanying life change. You all know what I'm talking about. We've done it before, and you come up either to the front or you raise your hand, and we repeat a prayer after me. And that's, that's a great start. But unfortunately, that's not where it ends, and that's not that's not what, what just simply gives you a card. I got eternal life right now. In 2011, Barna did a study that revealed that 50% of Americans say they have prayed some kind of sinner's prayer, even though half of them have no regular presence in any kind of a church or have lifestyles or worldviews that, it, that it in no way differ from the outs, those outside of their Christian faith. And that was 2011. That was 2011. What is it today? God doesn't save you because you went through some kind of a prayer ritual. It's not prayer that saves. It's repentance and faith. Beyond that prayer that lay hold of salvation. It's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I've used the illustration before, but if I were to have a chair up here, I could talk about how that chair will hold me up if I sit on it all day long. But it's not faith until I actually sit in that chair. Until I actually take a posture where I allow my body weight to rest full on that chair that is the only way that my faith is made uh, is is shown to be what it is is when I actually take that that posture sitting in sitting down and the question is not whether you prayed a prayer to Christ but what posture you assumed toward Jesus Christ did you actually repent and believe what posture did you take after you after you said that prayer What posture did you take after you said that prayer? So let me sum it up this way. I'm going to give the negative that I gave out first, and then I'll turn it around with a positive. You don't know God if you sin, but positively you do know God if you are in a posture of surrender. A posture of surrender. That leads me to number two. You don't know God if you say you have no sin. Pastor, you've been talking about sin, but I'm good. I have no sin. I haven't sinned. I haven't sinned, so I would never say that. Well, let's just read. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, there's two false claims here. One, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And two, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, this error is on the absolute opposite side. John says, being unaware of sinfulness in your heart is a sign that you don't know God. One of the first pieces of evidence when we, when we receive the light of God's grace is that it begins to expose the sin in our hearts and in our lives. Isn't that what light does? You, you can be in a dark room and you think that dark room, everything is fine, everything is cleaned up. When the, when the light is off and it's a dark room, you go, man, everything is clean, everything is good in here. And, and you, you, you're just thinking, man, everything, everything is just fine. And then all of a sudden, somebody, somebody lights a match, or, or they light a little light. You begin to get a glimpse, and you look around, and you say, oh, man, look at that. The dresser is tipped over, and all the drawers are pulled out, and, and clothes are, are everywhere. And then somebody hands you a flashlight, and it's a little bit of a bigger light. And you begin to turn the flashlight around. You begin to notice, oh, my goodness, the, 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 the bed's not made. Did you make your bed this morning? I'm just kidding. You, you begin to note, man, the bed's not made, and oh my goodness, there's there's trash that's overflowing and all over the floor, and then all of a sudden, somebody illuminates the big light overall in the room, and you realize, oh wow, there's mildew over here, and there's there's mold over here, and what is that smell? I mean, it was covered by the Febreze, and, and the cinnamon stuff is all kind of dissipated away, and now, man, something funky's happening in here, Right? The light exposes the mess and the darkness and you can't come to the light. If God is light and in him is no darkness, then that means when you experience the light of God's grace, it begins to expose the dark side and the sin and the messiness in our own life and in our own heart. And so if we say that we know God, but we claim we have no sin, there is no sin in us, then we have been deceived, and we make him to be a liar, and the truth is not in us, and we do not know God. We do not know God. That's what awakening to God is like it's this idea that 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 man i am separated from him and there is sin in my life if that hasn't taken place then there's no need for repentance and therefore, you might need to, to just understand that although you might believe in a concept about God, or even say that there was a, a, a Jesus who lived and was raised from the dead, if you don't acknowledge that that you have sin in your life that you need to repent of, then, then you don't truly know God. Francis Schaefer, Schaefer, excuse me, Schaefer said this once. He was asked what he would do. Uh, if he met a modern man on a train and had just one hour to talk to him about the gospel. And he responded, I'd spend 45 to 50 minutes on the negative to show him his dilemma that he's morally dead, and I'd take the last 10 to 15 minutes to preach the good news of the gospel. I believe that much of our evangelistic and personal work, personal work today is not clear simply because we are too anxious to get to the answer without having a man realize the real cause of his sickness." which is true moral guilt, not just psychological guilt feelings in the presence of God in the presence of God. You see, the awareness of sin is the first evidence of the light of the gospel shining in our hearts. And as we grow, so it's just not initially, okay? So some of us have had that experience initially, but can I also suggest to you that the closer you get to God, that the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more the light begins to illuminate other areas of darkness in our hearts, and that this relationship with God continues to expose things in you and in I that we need to repent of, things that we need to do, that we need to, that we need to adjust. Maybe it's an attitude or maybe it's a, a worldview that we have that, that we realize is incompatible with the gospel. And the more that we begin to, to walk in this relationship with God, the more the light begins to expose and wants to push back the darkness in the recesses of our hearts and of our lives. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. And so if you have been a believer for a long time and you think you've made it, you need to ask yourself, do I really still know God? Pastor, is that biblical I mean, absolutely, you know, Jesus, man, uh, he took care of all of my sin. Well, just ask Isaiah, he was a prophet, right? And he was at the top of his game. And all of a sudden he was brought in one day to the throne of God. And the very first declaration out of his mouth was, woe is me, I am, I am a man of, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Because the closer you get to God, the more you find yourself saying like Paul over and over again, I am the chiefest of sinners. I am the chiefest of sinners. This is not that we walk around feeling bad about ourselves, but it's also that we don't walk around with some air of pride and self-righteousness, thinking of ourselves to be light when really there are dark recesses in our heart. Repentance ought to be something that we do, not just when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ, but an ongoing thing that we do throughout our relationship with Jesus Christ. When was the last time you truly were repentant over your sin? When was the last time that you came into the light of his presence and you truly were heartbroken over your sin? You wept over your sin. You were grieved over your sin. You mourned over your sin. When was the last time that happened? Because if it was a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, my question for you is, where are you at in your walk with God? Have you moved into a place where it's just simply something religious that I do, but I've lost sight of the fellowship that I can have with the light. You don't know God if you say you have no sin. On the positive side, you do know God if you're deeply aware of your own sinfulness. Thirdly, you don't know God if you have no confidence before him because of your sin. Let's turn to chapter two. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, here's the answer. Here's the answer, right? So we've talked about... We've, we've talked about this this idea of light and incompatibility with darkness and, and sin and, and, and pursuing sin, right? And, and saying you can't willfully, you, you, there's just not this willful, I, I can sin and say I'm okay with God and, and ask God to be compatible with my sin. And we've talked about the fact that I can't also come in and say, well, I have no sin. I have no need for God. But here, here, and this is where, where, where we're at, but, but if you, that you may not, all right? This is what the scripture got, that you may not, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, propitiation, excuse me, for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because oftentimes, as I'm preaching these first two points, you might have started to question, am I, am I saved? I mean, I know that I sin. I mean, I I, I admit I, I sin, and, and now you're shaken in your confidence. So where does our confidence and our standing with God come from? Our confidence and our standing with God comes from two words, propitiation and advocate. Propitiation, that's a word that that, that is a claim. That means a claim has been against you. A claim that is against you has been satisfied. Literally, wrath absorbed and good. Goodwill has been replaced and has replaced ill will. For example, if I cause a traffic accident, so I'm driving, and I'm the cause. I cause a traffic accident, and, and I, I wreck somebody else's car, and their car is, is totaled. There, there's a claim against me. I have a claim against me. I've, I've got I've to figure out how I can undo what I've done, how I can undo the damages, how I can fix the damages, how I can pay for the damages to their vehicle, so they're okay. There is a, there is a claim that has been charged against me. But when I pay the sum total of those damages that's caused by the accident to the other person, then that other person has been propitiated. In other words, they have no more claim against me. That claim has been satisfied. There's no claim against me. Jesus Christ propitiated the holy wrath of God against our sin by suffering the full penalty of our sin on the cross. He satisfied that. There was a claim against us. In him is light. God is light. In him is no darkness at all, which means that I've got a sin problem and a holy and just and righteous God. Wrath was what I deserved because of my sin. But Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me propitiated and satisfied the wrath of God and the claim of death upon my life. Jesus did that. Every ounce of the penalty that you and I deserve for our sin was poured on to him on the cross. And that's why the cross was so bloody and gruesome. Because only the blood of Jesus Christ could pay the penalty for our sin. Because our sin was so grievous to a holy God. He propitiated that. The other word is advocate. It's a legal term referring to someone who argues a case before a a bar of justice on your behalf. And if you're a Christian, then Jesus is your advocate before the Father, then he stands there like a lawyer pleading your case. But what's he arguing? As he's pleading his case before the Heavenly Father, what's he he arguing? He, He can't argue your innocence. It's already been proven that you are guilty. He can't argue your innocence. You are not innocent. You and I are not innocent. He can't plead our innocent. What's he pleading? He is pleading his propitiation. He is pleading and saying, listen, <laughs> the substitutionary work on the cross, I satisfied that. You know that penalty, that claim that was against Aaron? You know that claim that was against him? That claim against him? He was, he was guilty, but you know that claim against him? I paid that. I paid that. There is no claim against him because I paid that. I satisfied that. Father, you can't hold his sin against him. I paid that penalty for him. Now, Timothy Keller wrote something that I, 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 I found myself in my, own, in my own kind of mental, kind of when I thought about this idea of an advocate. I used to think about it in the wrong way. And I read something that Timothy Keller wrote and uh, and 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 it kind of unlocked something for me. So I'm just going to read what Timothy Keller this is what Timothy Keller had. And I I I found myself, maybe you find yourself doing the same thing. He said that he used to have this idea that Jesus was standing as an advocate before God, and he thought that it meant Jesus was standing before God pleading for leniency on his behalf. Leniency, and that that that, that provided very little comfort to him. He imagined Jesus going to the heavenly courtroom with a stack of case folders and on the front marked Keller. So just put your name there. For me, it would be Taylor, right? Whatever your last name is. And, and he pulled it out and he said, okay, Father, it's Keller again. Can you give him one more chance? I mean, he, he's really a good kid. Please. I mean, pretty please. Come on, Father. I mean, you owe me. I went to earth and, and everything for you. And he said... That, that's, that just didn't give me very much confidence. He said, but, but, but he went on to say, deep down, I wondered if when I reached the end of God's, where, when I would reach the end of God's patience, would it be when I sinned for the 491st time and the Father would say, that's it. No more lenience for Keller. Even with you in his corner, Jesus, he's going to have to pay for this one. He's going to have to pay this once. But that's an incorrect understanding of what it means to be an advocate, because Jesus is not appealing for us on our innocence or asking the Father to give us another chance. It's not appeal for God's mercy, but it's an appeal for God's justice, that he is just. Remember First John, John 1, 9, he is faithful and just. Right, he it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It, the, the, the idea of confessing our sin was not on his mercy and grace, but on his faithfulness and justice. That he's faithful and just. He appeals for our justice. He satisfied the claims against us, and and now says to the Father, Father, I paid the full price for this sin. I took the penalty due him, so that he could have credit due to me. And it's only right that he not be held accountable for that sin. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's why we have confidence with the father, because if we confess our sin, right? If we confess our sin, not say I have no sin, not say, well, I can willfully sin and God's mercy and, 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 grace ought to be enough for me. So I can just willfully walk out of here and sin and do whatever I want to do and say, it's okay because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That is false. And if you believe that you don't really know God. You haven't really understood what his grace and mercy and love has done and the fellowship that it has because sin breaks fellowship with God. But Jesus Christ gives us confidence in our standing before God, gives us confidence in that standing both now and in eternity because he propitiated, satisfied the wrath of God by what he did and then stands there saying, he is innocent. She is innocent, not because of what they have done, not because of who they Are but because I satisfied the claim against them. I satisfied the claim against them, and that gives us great confidence, kind of like the old hymn, Before the Throne of God, as it puts it, Before the Throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no t- tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Worship team, will you come? Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Come on now. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the assurance of the gospel. I know that I am received by God, that I can stand confidently before his throne, not because of how well I've lived, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross as he propitiated and satisfied the holy wrath of God that was against me, the claim that was against me, the claim of death is no more, that when I repent of my sin, when I confess my sin, he is faithful and just becomes an advocate for me and stands there and says that sin is forgiven there is no claim upon his life her life because of what i did come on you don't know god if you have no confidence before god because of your sin but conversely you do know god and you if you can rest confidently in the finished work of jesus christ so how do we respond to this message how do we respond to this message Number one, evaluate. I want to ask you to evaluate your heart right now. I want to ask you to, to do an assessment of your soul right now, to do an assessment of your heart. And and again, John warns about uh, about this, And and depending on your personality, maybe you gravitate towards one of the warnings we talked about. Are you the kind of person that hardens your heart about sin and refuses to submit to the light? Do you try to cover up God's statements about your sinfulness and and with self-justification? Well, uh, it's okay because. Well, but it's okay because. Do you have a hard time believing and receiving God's grace? The gospel requires two really difficult things. One, to admit that you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you. And two, that he was so gracious, so gracious that he wanted to die for you. He was glad to. I don't know about you, sometimes we don't like either side. We want the mushy middle. I'm really not that bad. I'm really a good person. I'm really not that bad. But the problem is, is that light and darkness cannot coexist and sin impacts our fellowship with God. They cannot coexist. And without Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, there is no no hope for our sin. There is no fellowship with God. The gospel requires us to surrender, not just part of us, but all of us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All of us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's three kinds of people who never know God those who willfully and defiantly sin and will never submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, those who refuse to admit their sinfulness and never receive Jesus Christ as Savior or His forgiveness, and those who will not believe in the gracious promises of the gospel and never embrace. Christ's gift of righteousness. Don't be one of those people. Repent and believe the gospel today. Secondly, learn to cherish conviction and repentance. Many Christians think of repentance as a trip to the woodshed. You know what I'm talking about? The woodshed? Out back? Maybe you didn't have that before. I didn't have that, but I know what that means, right? We think of, we think of it that way, but don't, don't think of repentance as a trip to the woodshed because that's not a correct picture. Repentance is more like taking a bath. I'm filthy, I'm dirty. If you've ever been filthy or dirty, man, how many of you know the benefit of a hot shower? Man, you just come and you just feel so clean. You just feel so good. That, that's what repentance is like. I don't know about you, but when I when I come before God, it's not like a trip to the woodshed. It's like it's like the Father inviting me home, and and there's this cleansing, this deep cleansing, and this 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 connection with the Father, like I've never experienced to His amazing love before. Friends, that's what repentance is like. Repentance is like coming back home and experiencing this amazing cleansing and connection to the Father. And thirdly, keep coming towards the light. As, as God illuminates the sin, don't run back to the darkness, but instead bring that sinfulness to the light. Bring it and, 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 and watch as Jesus Christ in his light dissipates that sin in your life. As Jesus in his love begins to eradicate that sin and you begin to feel the embrace of his presence in your life, the warmth of his embrace. Let God's cleansing power wash over you today. We confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you receive his lordship today? Let's just bow our heads for a moment. and Jesus, 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 Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is there sin you need to repent of in your life? Is there sin you need to repent of in your life? Is there things in your life that are not right with God? When was the last time that you allowed God to shed love on the light on the sin in your heart and you you brought it to him and you said, Oh Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Oh Jesus, cleanse me of my unrighteousness. He's faithful and he's just today. And I want to invite you to repentance today. I will invite you to repentance today. If you've if you've not If you've not come to Jesus in repentance and belief today, I want to invite you to do that today. Jesus, we repent today. We come to you, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness and grace, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just confess your sin to the Lord right now. You do it. You do it. You know it. You know those areas. You know those attitudes. You know those actions. You know those things that you struggle with. You know those areas in your life. Will you just repent today? Will you repent today? Will you, will you bring it to Jesus today? Will you bring it to the light today? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, today we just, we repent of our sin. And we come to you, Jesus we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. We come to you today and we want to receive your forgiveness and grace. Lord, there are attitudes that are not right about sin. We ask you to expose those that, that our hearts might be drawn to your light and that we might take a posture of surrender to your Lordship today. We love you and thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.